All right, so I would ask you to open up your Bibles to Song of Solomon, or as I call it, Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 2. We're carrying on from last week, but before I, I dive straight in, I, I do want to remind you of a few things about the AGM. There are some important re-elections, um, for instance, of an elder Joe. We have to be re-elected every three years, and this brother, it's a huge blessing to, up, to us, is up for re-election, and then there are some fantastic deacons, too that are up for re-election, so you need to look at that carefully. If you have any comments to us as elders, you need to please bring that through. And we also have two prospective members we bring before you today, Devon and Kat Stickles. They attend the 6 p.m. from Cape Town. They've joined us at the beginning of this year. And if you have any questions or concerns around them in the next two weeks, please won't you get hold of one of the elders or the office, and we'll be happy to engage with you. All right. So let's read together from Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2. I slept, this is the lady speaking, but my heart was awake, a sound, my beloved is knocking, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I had put off my garments, how could I put it on? I had bathed my feet, how could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch. And my heart was thrilled within me. I eventually, I arose <laughs> to open to my beloved. And my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick with love. And I'm just going to include this extra verse. I don't think it's on the screen, but I'll do it anyway. Verse 9. What is your beloved? These others ask her. More than, the, than another beloved, O most beautiful among women. What is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjure us? It ends with their question of this incredible response of her to his absence. All right. This is a very special part of the book of Song of Songs because it's talking about our responsibility of what we have to do if we want a close walk with Jesus. We see both. We see the steadfast love of her shepherd king towards her. But on the other side we see how she postures her life in such a way that he's able to have access to her, that she's able to be close to him. And we're looking at the secret of closeness or secret to closeness with Jesus from her side. We're seeing her secret to her closeness to the shepherd king. And I, I took a long time last Sunday because it was so important, but I want to remind you the first thing that we need to be watchful over and guarding is our hearts. If we are going to get anywhere in our relationship with Jesus today, it is being very careful about the state of our hearts towards him. She was living a very ordinary life, doing ordinary things. She had to sleep, yet her heart was awake. And I want to ask you again, you've had a whole week to practice. Were you able to keep your heart awake in the very mundaneness of your life and perhaps the, tra the travails and testings of it to keep alight, uh, alert and alive to this Jesus? Friends, this is our responsibility. Proverbs 4 tells us we must 
above all else, guard our hearts. Because remember, it is the state of our hearts that enable us to be accessible to His voice, to the Spirit. And we said a few things. I thought of a few extra, but I just want to remind you, if you need to guard something, you keep an eye on it, right? You make sure it's in a safe place. Same in your heart. You have to make sure it's in a safe place towards Jesus. You keep an eye on it. You don't get obsessed with it, but you're aware it's there. And you be totally honest. You talk to it, and then you talk to Jesus honestly about it. And then you must nourish it. The heart can't just be left with honesty. It needs food. And you talk to your heart about who Jesus is. You remind it. And you lead it to sources in your life that feed it. Whether that be a famous sermon that you always like to play or read, like Spurgeon on Song of Songs, I highly recommend. Or a hymn you sing or a special scripture. Um, or there's special people in your life that you pray with. There are spaces in your life which feed your heart. And you need to go there. Don't neglect it. It is a positive reaction to its sense of disturbance. And, you know, the more I've thought about the commands of Scripture, they are so helpful for the heart. When Scripture says, be thankful in every circumstance, you know what that does for your heart. It makes you aware that His hand is in every detail of your life. You realize, this God is close. When it talks about, about um, let, let the peace of, of God, or peace of Christ, reign in your heart, rule in your heart, it is saying you are careful whenever that peace is disturbed. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. These things are constants because they are good for our hearts, not just for the glory of Christ's name. Are you with me this morning? And then I want to remind you this week, another thing I've learned is you pray. Every morning you get up and say, Lord, would you keep my heart alert to you today? And friends, I, I took my time and I just again hone in on that because if we are neglectful of our hearts, we will not get the blessing of what this book promises us in Jesus. And friends, the blessing of abundant life is to live close to Him. And the second thing was we, we saw last week is the importance of seeing the privilege. We're going to see how she has to relearn that today. But friends, this was not an ordinary man knocking at the door. It was the King of Israel. And friends, he had traveled. His head was wet with dew. And she had grown overly familiar with the privilege of his closeness in her life. But my third point, and I pick up today, is there is something else that she had to learn. If she was going to stay close to this Jesus, it was, and it is, the importance of obedience. I want to read to you this morning her response to his clear prompting in her life. She said, I had put off my garments. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? She gives all of these reasons why she shouldn't have to listen to his voice. And he gets stronger in his response to her. He puts his hand on the latch, and suddenly she realizes this guy means business. And her heart is thrilled within it. Finally, there is a positive emotional response to this prompting that's coming to, him, coming to her through this door. He says, and she says, I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. That, that's her senses were awakened. Her desire to be finally close to Jesus and respond to him happens. My fingers with li liquid myrrh. On the handles of the bolts, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. She delayed too long to respond to the clear will of his voice. And I want to share with you a little bit of what you will discover and what I've discovered if you are serious about living a life close to Jesus is you will find 
that John 15, verse 9 and 10 will be your experience. When I first opened up the series, I shared about the joy of knowing how much Jesus loves us. It says, as the Father has loved me, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And that's what I try to do. And I hope that's what the Song of Songs is stirring you to do, is you believe until you feel it that this Jesus loves you. And your life really, because what feeds your faith is the ability to trust him. And what makes you trust him is you, you believe that he loves you. Your whole life is anchored to the confidence of his unchanging nature towards you. That is how you live your life and grow in your faith. And you want to practice enjoying and abiding in his love. And it is an experience, friends. It's the joy of our hearts that feels safe and secure and delighting in this love of Jesus. And last year in December, my little girl, shame, she got very sick with COVID. So we had to isolate at at that stage. I had 10 days, 10 days away from all of you. And uh, it gave me an opportunity to go, okay, Lord, I'm reading these sermons by Spurgeon on Song of Songs. I want to practice this constant delight in your love, like she does. I want to draw close to you. And what I found was I could not feel close to Jesus without obedience. Let me put it to you like this. You cannot enjoy closeness with Jesus if you have an un clean conscience. And you know what I'm talking about. I realize that when he speaks, if I do not listen, I could not enjoy with a clear conscience and an ease the closeness of his presence. And what became real for me was the second part of John 15 verse 10, if you can pop it back up there. The first part is As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Wonderful. Abide in my love. Stay where your salvation has put you. Oh, but there's more. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. This this was Jesus' great secret of enjoying a closeness to the love of the Father. He said, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me. He realized something nourished Him. In his heart, he got to enjoy this father's closeness because of his obedience. And fellowship and, and obedience seem to go close hand in hand in this book. Closeness and his commands. Uh, you must read this book from cover to cover, and you'll notice every time he gives a command, the shepherd king to this girl, it results in closeness. Where must I go shepherd my flocks? She asks, oh, go over there and you'll find me. He goes on to say, oh, come, come, come away with me, my love. If she responds to his command, she has closer union with him. She gets him. When he says, catch the little foxes, he says, our vineyards are in in bloom. If you will catch these little foxes, you'll get to enjoy the fruitfulness of our relationship together. He says, When you're in trouble, call to me from the rock, and I'll I'll come to you. I want to hear your voice. I want to see your face. These commands, there are only about four or five of them, if you really look at them in the book so far. They're not many. Every time she responds, she gets more of him. And friends, that's how it works in your life. It's not just having an alertness to Jesus. That's the essential and first part if you're going to live close to him. But the second part is obedience to his voice. If you will obey, the blessing is closer fellowship. Are you with me this morning? You will get an experience of what it means. And today is the perfect example. Open up. 
I want to come close to you. I want you to come in, in this inconvenient time out of your routine. I want to spend time with you. And she dithers and delays, and she misses a wonderful opportunity for fellowship. Those two go hand in hand, obedience and closer fellowship throughout the book. And friends, I want to ask you this morning, do you know what it's like to have the inconvenience of Christ's voice in your life? <laughs> when last did he interrupt your day? When last does this king come to you? When last has he come to you and said, hey, I want you to do this for me. Or I want you to leave that thing. Or I want your attention. This is how he speaks to her and he speaks to us. And today, I want you to see the encouragement of this shepherd king and this girl in their relationship. I'm aware when I talk about obedience to the voice of Jesus, you are worried, am I going to hear him properly? That's my angst. Whenever somebody talks about we need to obey his voice, I want to, am I listening to the right one? There are lots of voices. Can I say this kind of call and speaking of the shepherd king to the girl is very, very clear. It will be the same in your life. Notice how much he communicates his will to her. First of all, he knocks. He gives her a sense of his presence. Before he even speaks, he matches that knocking with the sense of his presence. Then he gives his voice. Then he shakes the bolt. I mean, if by the time she doesn't know she must open the door at that point, she really is deaf and dumb, right? Can I say this is a familiar experience for anybody who knows Christ here today? Have you ever had that experience? Suddenly, you just feel nudged about something in your life. Then when you're reading your Bible, it, there it is. And then when you're praying, it's on your mind. And you come to a Sunday sermon, and the guy is speaking about it with a very beautiful beard. <laughs> and you think to yourself, hey, this is for me. Ever had that? Friends, it happens, but I want to ask you, I want to ask you, what are you going to do? And what have you done in those moments? Because there is a window of opportunity here to respond. And I will, I will guarantee you, Christ will give you the grace to obey the command. But it's up to you to do it. He will make it clear. He will make it certain. He will show you so, so uh, uh, indelibly His will. But friends, it will not always be there. That's the point. He does eventually stop trying to get her attention, and she eventually responds, but it's too late. And the reason why we must take these promptings so seriously is because they've got a timeline. I know too often in my own life, I can think back to a number in my life where I go, I never responded. But even if that is the case for you today, there's hope. It's proof here. She gets him, but she has to go through some things in her life which help her realize that next time he speaks, she's going to listen. <laughs> but can I just nudge you this morning? Is there something that is a theme in your life by the grace of God? You must attend to it. You can't leave it. And I want to say to you, it must worry you if there has been a long time since the Lord has laid something on your heart. 
Because my fourth point is finally, we, we're moving at the quicker this morning, is we need to expect God's training. Praise God. In her mistake, he doesn't leave her in that situation of familiarity. He has to reestablish the grounds of wonder in her relationship with him. And friends, that's what God has to do for us. Let's read together from verse 6. She eventually she obeys, but she's taking too long. She says, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when I spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. And then she leaves into the middle of the night. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my veil. Those watchmen of the walls, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick with love. Friends, the way that she has to readjust her heart is she goes through a time of intense testing. And after missing a time of clear calling to fellowship, she enters into a time of trial. And the test is this, is how is she going to respond to his withdrawal of his presence? That's the test. How is she going to respond when she realizes that her shepherd king has removed the nearness, the sense of the closeness of his presence? What's she going to do? Now, I want to talk about this as being something which is not an everyday occurrence. It's very, very painful for the believer. And I don't know if some of you know what this is like. Language in Scripture is God can hide His face. And sometimes it's doubly painful here. We see not only does her shepherd king hide His face from her, but He also withholds His hand. He allows her to go through terrible bruising and beating. It is a terribly painful experience for this believer, for this, for this lady. And I want to say to you, it comes at the Christian like this. She is experiencing this consequence because of her rejecting him. That is what sin is. She's rejected the call of her master to do what he's requesting. And it is the same for you and me. Has this ever happened to you? You sin, and you say, oh, Jesus, please forgive me. I'm sorry. And you expect things to go back to normal, because generally they do. Generally, the blood of Jesus and the, the cleansing of your conscience, it's done. But suddenly, what you start to realize is when you come back to him, what you've just taken lightly, suddenly you realize Jesus is taking seriously. And so what begins to happen is, just like her, she goes out and she seeks him. You pick up the Bible and you seek fellowship with Jesus and you start to read, but you notice the ease that was there previously. It's not there. Suddenly, the warmth and the nearness and the togetherness of Christ when you're reading the Scriptures, it's not there. You suddenly feel, whoa, something's different here. It feels a bit colder. And the calling that she does, she calls you, Beloved, it's us praying. It's us when we call upon Jesus. He seems nowhere. And you do it the first day, and you go, oh, well, maybe he'll, he'll come tomorrow. I'll just keep going. He does it the second day, the third day. And then what starts to happen in your life, just like her, she decides to carry on seeking him, and suddenly bad things start to happen. Suddenly things get worse. They don't get better. 
And suddenly, where she doesn't expect it from people, she didn't expect it from these watchmen, she starts to experience terrible suffering. And so it moves from him hiding his face to him not helping her with his hands. And the result is, suddenly she finds herself in a season of deep, deep distress, where before it was ease, it's now absence, where before she felt his hand prospering her in every area of her life, suddenly there is a, there's an absence, there's now pain. And she's calling and she's calling, and it can go from week one, week two, week three, week four, months, sometimes years. And the result is you realize what you had as a Christian was super special. That familiar, getting up in the morning, and friends, it is the normal experience to enjoy Jesus this way. You get up, you remind your mercies on you every morning. It's so good to be under your shepherding care, and you feel it. You feel it as you're getting, and you're praying, oh, God, answer that. You feel it as you're carrying on, and you remind, oh, that scripture's reminding me of yourself. You feel it in the services. You're growing in the sermon series. You're starting to witness about your You realize that there's this wonderful joy of being with Jesus. And then suddenly... You realize, oh, I just thought it was normal. It was good. I took it for granted. Because now you feel it's gone. And let me tell you to anybody who values their faith in Jesus, it is the most distressing, humbling, painful experience to walk. Because it challenges core things about who God is to us that are scary. Suddenly, what was backing your faith and the feelings of being close to him, it is absent. And you're now having to decide who this God is to you because you're not feeling it or seeing it in your experience or emotion. And that is the trial. That is the trial. And the worst part about it is it can happen. It's happened to her before. She woke up in the middle of the night and her, her beloved was gone. Sovereign mystery can lead us into a place of desperate loneliness, desperate need, absence of the presence and help of God in our lives. But friends, this is on the back of sin. And the problem with sin is this. It's a double whammy. Before she could have leant into Job's righteousness and said, I've done nothing wrong. I've done nothing wrong. I'm holding to my righteousness. You can do that before God. If he is not convicting you of any sin and you fall into this trial without any sin in your life and you can say, God, you're going to have to help me. If there's any hidden sin in me, please show me. As David says, that there's a mysterious way of God leading us into a place of desperate need. But when it's off the back of sin, it's even worse because you realize I have rejected him and now he's gone. And that raises questions in your heart towards this God towards this Jesus that shake whether or not you're going to be confident in his eternal love. And so I want to help anybody who feels like that today. And I want to prepare anybody here who's going to walk through it. Because my, my fifth point today is how to face God's testing. Friends, we don't see this at the moment of it happening in terms of why he withdraws. We see it at the end. In verse 9, the reason why I added in this morning was she gives a testimony of her confidence in Jesus through terrible stuff. Sorry, the testimony of her shepherd king. I, to, oh, I seem to be muddling up them a lot this morning. The testimony of the, the fidelity of her shepherd king at the end, these, these ladies are marveling. What's so special about this man that you love him so much after what he's allowed to happen to you? It's powerful. 
We see how in her life, never again in the book does she ever take for granted the promptings of this king. She does whatever he asks her to do. She's learned a lesson of closeness in fellowship is linked to obedience. And friends, today, I want to remind you that my, my, my first subheading under how to face God's trial, my point one, is you have to decide his motives. What did I say? You have to decide to trust his motives. Because when you land in the test or the trial, and when it's happening, at that point, you don't know why. You see no logical reason of why this should be happening to you. You know what amazes me about this girl? Is although her husband has abandoned her, it's indefensible. That's why I say we must be cautious about recommending this book as a marriage uh, uh, enrichment alone. I, I think that there's something much deeper here. Her obsession for her husband is a problem if he's merely human. That should be for Jesus. That should be for God. But I want to say this. Also, husbands here today, if, if you're as flawless as this man, good luck. But I want to say this. This is how it feels for the Christian who lands in this kind of testing where God is silent and his hands are behind his back. It feels like they have been abandoned. And that's what this lady felt. When this happened to her, she, she could be tempted to think her husband's being cruel to her. And it is the same when this sort of trial happens to you as the Christian. I've said sorry. I'm seeking your face. I'm doing everything you require in Scripture for me to do, and you're not responding to me. In fact, it's getting worse. Friends, it is tempting for her to believe the motives of her husband is cruel. It's even worse if she sinned because she could feel like, I rejected him. Has he rejected me? Has he, has he abandoned me? That's how you feel in these seasons of despair. And friends, what is amazing, amazing about this woman, this is the greatness of her faith and her commitment to the covenant, is not once, not once, does she ever doubt his motives towards her. It is powerful. She calls him beloved throughout. Can you? She can say at the end of her experience in verse 8, my heart is not sick with bitterness, not with resentment, not with anger and pointing of the finger. She can say, my heart is sick with love. You see, this is where the greatness, and, and if this does not click over into our hearts when these sorts of trials come, friends, all the others are never going to happen in our lives. This is where faith starts and stays tonight. Church, please hear me. Is when this kind of testing comes, you are tempted by the demonic to doubt the steadfast fidelity of the love of Christ. And what you must do, if you are in this trial at moments, or if it comes, it does not matter what comes your way. We see in her life, her decision is to trust his motives 100%, that he is going to be good to her and is being good to her. She can't explain it. It's not defensible. We don't, I, at this moment, I cannot justify the husband's behavior. She can see it at the end that he's working it for the good, but we can't see it right now. And she decides in the second, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust his love. Come what may, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. She trusts his fidelity. And friends, it is what Artie Kendall calls breaking the betrayal barrier. You will feel betrayed by God when he deals with you like this. <laughs> At least tempted to. Why, Lord? What are you doing? You will be tempted to believe he's cruel. But faith will say, no, no. 
I release him to be the Lord. And I trust him. You must decide to trust his motives. She does. She never stops holding to her love for him or believing his love for her. That's where you must start, and that's where you must say. The second is, you never decide to stop seeking him. What I love about it, the principle is, friends, whether you have sinned and you're finding yourself in suffering, or whether you're suffering because of God's mystery, either way, it doesn't matter. The principle is this, is you go hard after him and you keep seeking him. Notice what she does not do. She does not go back to bed. This is her greatness. Whether she wakes up and she sees that he's absent or whether she's sinned and she's too slow to the door and he's gone. The, the posture's still the same. No matter what the reason is for his absence, she is going to seek him. I want to ask you this morning, do you only seek him on, his term, on your terms? Where when he's nice and when he feels good and he's doing what you want to do, you'll seek him. No, friends, today, today we see the kind of faith that the follower of a shepherd king requires. It is this, that no matter what is happening in your life, please hear me this morning. Do you roll over under the covers and say, oh, he'll come back? Do you just say, oh, I'll just get on with what I'm doing until he's ready to meet me? Do you get on with your life and never being disturbed by his absence so much as you never lift up a finger to really seek him anymore? Or are you like this lady? She's incredible, church. She's phenomenal. No matter what is the cause for the sense of his distance, she's not happy with it, and she expresses it with a determined a determined desire to seek him. Do you give up on your prayer when you don't get anything back or when things are getting worse? Do you give up on your scripture reading when you just don't feel it's really doing anything for you? How quickly do you hand over or capitulate your will to something else more comfortable because you're just not getting what you want from Jesus? The third is, don't heal yourself too quickly. We said the first is, you must decide to trust his motives. The second, you never decide to stop seeking him. The third is, you don't heal yourself too quickly. There is something powerful for us here today. She could have gone, oh, I'm married. He has to come back. He loves me. Once he's cooled off from being upset with me, I'll just go, you know, uh, in the meantime, I'll go climb under the covers and I'll wait. She could have used her covenant grace in that way, but she doesn't. And I want to say to you, as a young man this morning, one of the greatest blessings to me was when a pastor told me not to heal myself too quickly with grace. What do I mean by that this morning? Friends, your heart has a memory. And the way it remembers things is by consequences. And what we can do is we can medicate too quickly after we sin. It's not that we feel insecure. We can run to our covenant and say, I'll just go back to bed because he's forgiven me and his righteousness is up for me. And that is all correct. But friends, what we've done in that moment is we've delivered ourselves from the distress too quickly. So when the decision comes around again, what we're going to do when he asks me to do that thing, we're going to forget. And the blessing I found is whilst you are assured of this shepherd king's love, you don't heal yourself too quickly by grace. You don't say, oh, I'm in this marriage covenant. I'm righteous. I'm, 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 I have the righteousness of Jesus. Oh, man, I'm sure it'll all just blow over. I'll just go back to what I was doing before. Friends, that bed cost her. That bed cost fellowship with Jesus. She's not going back to it too quickly. She could have entitled herself to sleep, but she's not going there because she knows that that was the thing that damaged her when he asked. And she's willing to forego it for a season in order to make sure that she doesn't land back in the same place as before. And I want to say sometimes sin can feel so painful. 
so painful. It's good. It's good. And you tell yourself in that moment, do you feel this right now? I'll give you an insight into mine. Do you feel that right now, Max? Next time, when you have to decide, I want you to remember the consequence. Well, I don't trust Jesus. But I realize this pain is helping me not go back to the thing that cost me closeness with Jesus before. The fourth is you do the last thing he tells you to do. Why do you think she's giving herself to running into the streets and looking for this Jesus? It's because that's what he asked of her in the first place. He wanted to say, hey, I want to be close to you. I want to spend time with you. And notice what she does not do. She does not go back to her room and back to bed. What she does is she goes, okay, I might have missed it that one time, but I still can put this right. Do you know what that's like in a Christian life? You might have felt like, oh, I had that moment in that conversation to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And you, you realize the conversation passed, and you felt the prompting go, but when you think about it, you can say, I can still pick up the phone. I can still go and say, hey, I'm so sorry for that stupid comment I made. And you can put that thing right. And friends, that's what we must do. We must ask ourselves, positive or negative, what was the last thing he told us to do? Because the point was he wanted obedience, and so he can still get obedience from that area of prompting in our life, even if it's in cold blood, even if you don't feel him affirming you whilst you're doing it, but you know it's right. You do it. You do, you do not go back to the bed. You do what he told you to do, which is, come to me, I want to be close to you, I want to spend time with you, and that's what she gives him. And if in that season of distress, you don't know what he's asking you to do, what you do is you know, you do what you know is pleasing to him. You say, okay, what I know in scripture would be a blessing to Jesus right now. How can I respond in the season of absence and the season of, of his presence and of his help? How can I respond effectively? You think, what would be pleasing to Jesus? She knows that her beloved loves it when she's seeking him. He loves quality time. He loves hearing her voice in her face. She might not feel it, but it hasn't changed. That's the point of point one. She knows that his nature and character hasn't changed, and she's going to give herself to it. She's going to do what she knows he wants her to do. My fifth point is you remain steadfast in suffering. Friends, I, I am preaching this morning knowing there are people in this room that are in terrible, terrible trial. And rather than her shepherd king coming to her rescue from these watchmen, he allows it to happen. And can I ask you this morning, do you know what it's like to experience pain from an unexpected source in your life? Friends, this is the experience of when you are not only feeling an absence of his presence, you feel like everything is going wrong. Do you know what that's like? You're praying and you're seeking and you're even getting out of your normal comfort zone to do it. That her not going to bed, but staying awake, it was, it was an effort for her. It wasn't passive. She could have gone back and slept, but she didn't. It's, it's like us. You, you decide to fast. You decide to spend more time in prayer. You, you, you're desperate to, to draw near to this Jesus and this hour of need. And what you find is suddenly what was so secure before, like your employment, is touched. What? That was such a stable source of finance for me. It's gone. Friends, it was like that for her. These men were people that she trusted. Beforehand, they were meant to keep the safety of the city. She went to them 
for help last time he was gone. So she goes, well, I'll go back to them again. And so she goes to these watchmen, the very men who were supposed to protect the city and keep it from harm, hurt her, bruise her, humiliate her, remove her veil, and she feels absolutely smashed by this experience. Do you know what that's like? It's from an unexpected source. Maybe you shared something with a, a fellow Christian and they didn't keep it a secret. Maybe you confided something to a colleague and they humiliated you. Maybe your spouse, the very person that you trusted, cheated on you. And your life was like this. I never thought that could happen. And it's so humbling. It's so humbling. It's so painful. And I want to ask you this morning, do you know what it's like to still love Jesus when you are at your lowest? Have you ever been a high-powered, successful person and your business is going bankrupt? Do you know what that's like in terms of your ego in front of other people? You know how humbling it was for her to go to her friends and say, please help me, my marriage seems to be in trouble. Let's talk about a human level. Here she is. She's saying she's got to hang out with these people and be open and honest about what the state of her life is. It was humiliating. When they removed that veil, it was mean. It was exposing her to these awful men. It was, it was, it was humbling. And, and friends, she's having to go through things in her life where other people look on her and feel sorry for her. Do you know what that's like? You're in, on the bed of sickness. Maybe you've gone through chemo. You've got no hair. And you feel people's feeling sorry for you. It's not a nice experience unless you're wired in a very strange way. And friends, that's what it's like. She is suffering. She is suffering. And I want to say to you today, are you in this place where God seems to be not only withholding himself, but his hand towards your life, and things seem to be going wrong and going from bad to worse? Friends, my, my greatest consolation to you is that God is not finished yet. You remain steadfast in suffering. He is working all, good thi all, all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. You might not be able to defend it. People might laugh at you. So why are you still trusting Jesus when He's allowing this to happen in your life? You might be in such a place of vulnerability. I want to, I want to call you today to this woman's testimony and to say, don't you dare give up on His love. Job got touched in every way possible, except death. But he would not allow his confidence in who God is to be shaken. And I want to ask you today, is that you? This is the greatness of faith. Do you want to grow? Do you want to get the commendation of Jesus' well done? Friends, this is the pathway to, to gaining momentum and ground in God's kingdom in your life is you say, even though he slay me, even though he removed my season of participation in this world, I will trust him. She doesn't feel it, but do you know what it's doing to the heart of God when you do that? When you say to this amazing king, even though I don't see any reason to right now, I believe and I affirm your love for me. Do you know what that does for him? And do you know what that does for you? 
is you are moving into the realm of great faith. And my sixth point is you are to seek the prayers of your fellow Christians. Notice what she does not do. I want to ask you a question today. When you're in trouble, do you isolate yourself? Do you say, oh, no, no, I, I, until I'm, things are going better, I'll come to church? Oh, no, no, I, I think until things are better, I'll stay away from small group. It's too humiliating to share this part of my life with other people who seem to have everything so perfect. You know what the warning of the Song of Songs for me is? Is that this faith is not lived out in private, friends. She's got faith. She's got friends that share her faith and love for the Shepherd King. And the thing that I see she runs to more than once is she says, Hey, hey, guys, I'm trying to find this, this king. I'm trying to send him messages. Could you send a few messages for me? What is she asking for in the Christian context? She's saying, hey, could you lift up messages of prayer to this Jesus on my behalf? I, I need him. I'm in trouble. I, I'm desperate. And, and friends, I want to say to you, do you have Christian friends and community in your life that you run to? Because I just want to share what small groups like for me. I said to them, do you know what you guys are like on Wednesday night? I said to them, you know why I love you so much? You're like a kiss from Jesus for me. Because when I'm close to you and your love for him, he feels near to me. And friends, when you start to see the value of these friends around you, and you're saying, hey, help me, uh, I need your prayer. Uh, it's so vulnerable that she's got a bad marriage. She's just been beaten up on the streets. She, she's struggling with these deep wounds. Do you share your wounds with these people that would have seen her, oh Lord, her blue eye, her beaten face, would have seen her clothes torn? And, and she, she runs to them. Do you do that? Do you go, oh, no, until, until my wounds heal, until I'm presentable to be with these other Christians, I'm going to stay away. I, I, it's just me and Jesus, my friends. What you learn in your hour of need and when the pauper hits the fan is that these friends around you love Jesus. They are the blessing, the balm. When there is absence of his face and his hands, you see his face in them and you feel his heart in them and you feel his hands through them. Oh, it is pride to live a life in isolation and not in the joy of community. Show me a Christian who is starving. I'll show you a Christian who never spends time with other Christians. And my last point is this. Let me just, don't be more spiritual than Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said... Oh, Lord, he said, pray for me. Can you not say, wait, just one hour? And I don't think I'm right, but I, I might be onto something. He needed angelic help. That's what it's like. You might say, I've tried in my school group. I've tried to get Christian help. And, 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 and by the way, it's good for you to be a practicing one to contribute, not just take two. But even God will meet you. He, that's why Christ needed those angels to minister to him, because his friends were fast asleep. Oh, no. Let's not be like that. This is the place you need to be. <laughs> Friendship with Christians is where you need to be. And the last is you keep your heart free from all bitterness. This is her greatness. She can say after everything, I am sick with bitterness, with resentment, blame. How could you do that, Lord? No, no. She can say it. Friends, I ask you today, if things are not going your way in your life, how quick are you to forsake 
have confidence and love for Jesus. And I'm going to preach on next week. This is what caught the attention of the world. People around going, what on earth is this? Look at what God has allowed to come into your life. Look what your husband has allowed to happen to you. And you still love him. You still believe what's so special about this beloved that can cause such loyalty in a heart of a human being towards it. And friends, that's where the greatness starts to happen as we see God beginning to redeem through all of this pain, a purpose, a wonderful blessing to the people around her in her life. Her aroma of Jesus begins to awaken a Roman of desire in their hearts too. And we begin to see that her life is not merely in isolation. Her life is not merely just battering on until heaven or maybe until she gets to see me. No, friends, everything that has happened to her life leads to her being able to glorify Christ and to find him in a new way. And the same will be true for you. Friends, if you will keep your heart free from bitterness, from, from the default of doubt, from, from, from distancing yourselves from this love of the Savior, because you're not getting what you want from him, if you will start to adopt the mature perspective of saying, oh no, I trust him through thick and thin. I believe that this Jesus is the same to me. He has not changed. He's worthy of my fidelity and loyalty and trust. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Friends, if you will adopt that position today, it will lead to the greatest blessing in your life. She passes the test. Will you? Today, the Lord is encouraging us to see her greatness in the response to her difficulties and trials and to find life in the midst of them. Let's pray. Father, this morning, what a joy to see the glory of what faith firmly set in Jesus looks like. And Lord, you were doing a deep work of transformation through this story, in this life, Lord, in her life. The way that Jesus, this interaction was happening, she was having to go through some times of testing and difficulty. But Lord, the blessing on the other side, was tremendous. Fresh wonder and awe at being close to you. A deepening of faith matured through steadfastness. A life led that was coherent to people around it. People didn't look at her life and say, oh, there's just a, a real weird um, discrepancy here between what she says and what she believes and how she behaves. Friends, there was a Lord, there was just a, such a unity amongst her friends of her life that was a witness to you. And I pray for us as a church, you would lead us into that place. Growing faith, steadfastness, and fidelity to the loyalty of our Savior. Lord, would this be an encouragement for anybody who's in trial here today? And Lord, would it secure us in steadfastness for those that is going to happen to you. Lord, we want to be faithful to you, full of love for you, full of desire, full of hope, full of steadfast faithfulness. Do that for us today, Lord. And if there's anybody here who doesn't know you in this way, I pray that Jesus would come and speak to them this morning, that they would start with faith in your person alone. Do you know Jesus in the way that this lady knew the first shepherd king? That's what you need. You need to talk to him and say, Lord, I want you, Jesus. 
I need you. Save me today. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. We'll see you next week. Sorry?